Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Well, it is a great privilege to worship together this great God. And so we're going to do so now as we turn to the scripture uh, and particularly this morning Psalm 2. I did begin last week just a very short series, just four messages uh, tackling the topic living in a world seemingly gone mad. And last week uh, opening up Psalm 1 uh, trying to answer the question so many voices ringing in my ear and urging you urging us that we listen to the voice of God delighting in his word but before i read psalm 2 i am going to pray and then i'm going to make a few comments and then we'll read the psalm together and Lord, as gabby has prayed we turn to you now and our desire is to hear you speaking to us and Lord, praying that you would give to us the inclination of heart in submission to your word and lord your spirit enabling us lord in faith to believe and to believe stronger and stronger all that you have revealed about yourself and even about this world that we live in and so grant to us lord today encouragement from your word as we pray this in jesus name amen Well it's not rocket science to make a few statements about the state of the world at the moment. We have Russia at war with Ukraine and I think we've kind of got used to that. We have Israel at war with the Palestinians or more specifically with the organization known as Hamas. We have China and North Korea in the east from my point of view flexing their muscles. Then we have North America and Europe with a, a very open anti-christian mindset. Uh many people just call it a post-christian mindset or a post-christian era. And so what I'm trying to say in this introduction there's so much more in the world around us that really seems nothing uh nothing less than chaos, lunacy around us. And so does all of what is going on around us not tempt us to conclude that we're living in a world that has gone mad. I discovered I'm not the only one thinking this in a previous generation well-known preacher Martin Lloyd Jones. He asked a similar question to his congregation. He said, "Are you astonished at the state of the world?" And in answering the question, he said, "This is a state of organized insanity and confusion." Well, in the state of organized insanity confusion very important question that you need to ask and I need to ask is are we as people just subject to the mercy of the superpowers and all their crazy self-centered schemes that are becoming more and more evident are we just victims of circumstance or or is there something more we ought to know that's one of the hardest lessons to learn in life 
uh, is that things are not always what they seem to be. On the surface, we draw conclusions, we have opinions, but there's a lot more happening in the background, in the reality of life. It's a lesson, I believe, that we can learn, that the superpowers of our day need to learn, and we can do so from Psalm 2. And so before I read the psalm, there are two questions uh, that I want to answer very briefly, and then going to read the psalm. The first question is, how do we approach the psalm? What, what is it? What is the... The, the genre, the, the context, the, the psalm in general terms is a song. It's a, a song to be sung, celebrate the crowning of a king. It's a celebratory coronation psalm, song. But a closer look, you will see that it clearly points beyond the kings of Israel. Famous kings like Saul and, and David and, and Solomon, yes, this could be sung at their particular coronation, but there's, there's more being revealed to us in this instant. It points to the king of Israel, the great king of Israel, the greatest supreme king, that being our Lord Jesus Christ. Very specifically, definitely uh, spoken of in this psalm, prophetically, as we even are able to see and then look back today. The second question is, how is the psalm organized? The psalm is set up like a play. It's like a drama. It's made up of four different scenes. There is David, who the psalmist, he's the narrator, he's telling the story. There is the kings and the rulers of the earth that are represented in this particular drama. They're having their say. And then there is Jehovah, God. And then the Son of God speaking from heaven. So that, that in a nutshell is where we are going this morning. So with that said, let me read. You follow with me in your Bible, uh, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. We have become familiar with, uh, as citizens of South Africa, that in its current constitutional disposition or dispensation, it is governed by what is called a liberal democracy. I think we all know a little bit about politics. What does that mean? Well, it is, of course, a government by the people for the people. We know too that the rights of every person is protected, but God has been eliminated. And so, I want to begin this message this morning by showing you that is how people see the world. 
the world as you see it, as seen even by David in his observation as he begins this particular song. As we look around the world, as we look around our own country, it is true. There are pockets of allegiance to God in the Bible. Well, Central Baptist Church, there are other churches around the country, in our city. But generally speaking, even amongst some of the famous clerics, the holy God revealed in the Bible is rejected. If you go a little bit deeper, at a more defined level, when it comes to speaking of Jesus, try this in your own conversations with people who are not believers, perhaps in the workplace, perhaps in the classroom situation, and you will find a distinct response of awkwardness. There's an exclusion, you're pushed to the edge. People don't want to speak, don't want to acknowledge the reality and the presence and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even as we approach Christmas, Nativity scenes are tolerated, but seem to be myth, perhaps fantasy. But when you begin with explanations of the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the rule of Jesus, they are cast aside, they are snubbed and seem to be ridiculous. And so as we look at the world, the world as you see it, there are hordes of presidents and kings and queens and clerics and theological academics and even ordinary citizens who believe, who really believe that they decide whether God exists. They, they believe, they decide who God is if they think he exists. And then they even believe that they can decide what God can do or cannot do. So in this first scene of this drama, we're given this picture of the world as superficially seen as David saw it and it doesn't make sense as a man of God who understands in his relationship to God in the revelation of God it doesn't make sense so in the very first verse he asks why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain why 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 it, the, the tone here is of astonishment of a senseless rejection of God's rule, of, of, of God's authority and sovereignty. And, and so it's not the why of intellectual interest. This is not an academic doing a research project. It's the why of disbelief. It's the why of astonishment. David sees the world in outright rebellion, state of outright rebellion against God. There appears to him in his context, and certainly as we look around, I'm not sure what conclusion you draw, it does appear to that there is this united and universal growing rebellion against God. The world takes a position. The world has taken a position, making up their minds, and there is in this strategy, in their thinking, in their worldview, in their approach, a premeditated scheme to rid the earth of God. Not only of God, but to get rid of His ways, that which He has revealed about Himself and what is holy and right, to make fun of any of those revealed beliefs, Christian beliefs, Values and of course even the people themselves. Isn't that the pattern? Has been the pattern down through the ages? Men and women rejecting God. David watching in astonishment as the scene unfolds in the second verse. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. 
and against his anointed. And so in the unfolding of the drama, the kings of the earth have a fixed position. They have a common understanding. The world is of one mind. Now just pause for a minute. It is true that the world has different political systems. There are different ideologies. There are different worldviews and emphases. There are different economic models and social structures. But there's one thing, there's one common thread that dominates and permeates the, permeates the context of the world. The world is united in this. Get rid of God and get rid of His anointed. Leading voices of the nations have consulted. This is what we see in the psalm. The picture given to us, there's an agreement, there's a conspiracy against God, against the people of God and against the cause of God. Verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't want the burden of God on our shoulders. We don't want the responsibility, the accountability and the ways of God. They are restrictive, they are necessary. That's what's happening in the world. Even the Western world that was influenced by Christianity for so many years, we see now uh, superpowers like uh, Joe Biden in the United States going across to China, uh, Xi Jinping uh, from that country, and Kim Jong-un from North Korea. They're opposed, promoting that which is opposed against and against God. They're against these standards against his righteousness, against his laws, against the creeds. They don't want God to rule over them. And not just them, it's a general pattern across the world. Even in our own country, we've seen political leaders blaspheming the name of Jesus. And so the superpowers are actively seeking to undermine very specific uh, uh, issues of revelation regarding the ways of God. Your family... The family structure is under attack. A mother and a father and children in a God-designed order is being undermined. The belittling of the leadership role of a man in the home, in the church. The role of a husband in society, redefining marriage. Telling us that marriage, and I prefer the word that uh, uh, Doug Wilson uses, the mirage of a man and a man and a woman and woman uh, being able to get married. What absolute rubbish and lunacy. Differentiating between gender and sex. Hiding behind a woman's health, a woman's health to kill the unborn. People and nations are so different with differing opinions on many issues, but the common thread runs through the Bible. Opposition to God, opposition to His anointed, His laws and His standards. There is a specific fulfillment, if you like, of this particular passage we see in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John had come under attack because they were promoting the ways of God, the gospel, the work of Jesus, the accomplishment of uh, his atoning work. They come under pressure from the rulers, the elders, and the teachers on their release from prison. They interpret the events and this is what they do in giving thanks to God. Acts chapter 4 verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, Psalm 2, 
your servant said by the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. They want to put it, they did, they put him to death. It's what Jesus had spoken of often. One example in Mark chapter 9 verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. The hands of men did what Jesus spoke of. In seeking to stand against God and his anointed. The stupidity, the lunacy. Given half a chance, the creature will murder the creator. In the words of the tenants, in the parable that Jesus speaks, in, speaks of in Matthew 21 verse 38, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. Well, we need to ask ourselves, is that it? Does the creature dictate the terms of the creator or to the creator? Are God's hands tired? Is God at the mercy of kings and rulers and superpowers of the earth? No. Emphatically, no. As we're going to see in the unfolding of the next scene, which I've called the world as God sees it. So we move now. From the earth, David has a perspective, you have a perspective. Now we move into heaven and we have a glimpse of what's happening in heaven. And what is it that's happening while, as it were, the mob rages outside the city gate? Is the Lord cowering? Is he panicking? Is he preparing to dash away in a state of uh, confusion and uncertainty? No. The fourth verse. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. God does not laugh because it's funny. It's ludicrous. That's why he's laughing. It's laughable. It's like, and this is an inadequate illustration completely, it's like the two-year-old little child thinking he can uh, take on his father who happens to be maybe a heavyweight boxer. No, it's not possible. It's, not, it's laughable. Men are such fools. How can puny men hope to stand up against God? So no, one of my favorite stories those who come from French-speaking countries and perhaps even France will understand maybe the greater impact of this. But man is like the French revolutionary who climbed to the top of the cathedral of Notre Dame where he ripped the cross from the spire and dashed it into fragments on the pavement of Paris below. And he said to the peasant, we are going to pull down all that reminds you of God. Well, the peasant calmly replied, then pull down the stars. Puny man, puny man, man 
for all of his technology and ability. And there's a lot of discussion at the moment I'm discovering about artificial intelligence. The possibility even of creating what some people are talking about as trans-human beings. Somebody who's just made up of wires and, I don't know, printed circuit chips. Man has ability. Man has skill. Man has an, an, an amazing, innovative ability. But let's not forget this morning that man is still man. And man is mortal. Woman is mortal. And God is God. God is eternal. God is uncreated, self-existent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. All of those attributes that we know of the magnificence and the glory of God is infallible, he's, he's holy, he's transcendent, he's lifted up, he's worshipped. And, and listen to this picture. Here is a picture about God. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22. It is he, this is God, who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. God who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Do you open your curtains this morning? Effortless uh, exercise. That's what God is like in terms of the earth and the cosmos and the universe and all that exists. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes, superpowers... To nothing. And he makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. And so the message this morning in perspective that I'm trying to bring in this world that has seemingly gone mad. God laughs at men and women for being such fools. And the Lord speaks. Verse 5. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. He looks. He listens. The conference of kings and superpowers in what I like to call the peanut galleries. He takes note of their unanimous resolution to banish God and his principles and his people from the face of the earth. And he responds. And to use the words of the Apostle Paul regarding wrath. Chapter 1 verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Men and women will be held accountable. They will be subjected to the condemnation and the wrath of God. But in heaven it's business as usual. There's no compromise. There's no adjustment to the plan. There's no movement away from God's purposes. He has installed his king. In Zion, verse 6, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so this neglected voice amongst the superpowers has the final say, something that you and I need to remember when we feel marginalized or excluded, when we are mocked or persecuted for the sake of Jesus, when you hear blasphemy or skepticism or criticism, when marriage is devalued and the design of sexual identity is denied, God wins. God wins. And so we move on to the third scene. The world's future as God has determined. The scene in heaven continues. So we're still up in heaven. 
The speaker changes. It's now the son speaking, and he repeats what the father has announced in verse 7. I will tell of the decree. Now, I don't want to pause and take more time, but there's a very important word that you need to learn as a Christian. The decrees of God are immutable. I think that would be a good word. Unchangeable. They are set in stone. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You're my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with, an iron, with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the unique Son of God. The Father, dear friends, pause, listen, receive, believe. The Father has given the nations of the world to the Son. He will rule, He does rule over everyone and that rule will be manifest forever and ever and there will come a time when all will see, every, bow, every knee will be bowed before Jesus, the Son of the living God. We know the passage, Philippians chapter 2. God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Revelation 11 verse 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. The son is appointed to reign he has ascended and is already reigning from heaven above alongside of the father the son is appointed and we're going to share in the lord's supper in just a few minutes having dealt with sin having atoned for sin having appeased the wrath of god for those who believe smashing human rebellion for always he ultimately will bring about Judgment, destruction, the world as we know it, and he will usher in a kingdom, a new heaven, a new earth where all things will be made new. And so we end, the drama ends with the fourth scene. I've simply called it the gracious or God's gracious warning. The narrator, David, led by the Spirit, brings the drama to an end. He's heard now from the different stakeholders and he makes an appeal. He walks, as it were, to the front of the stage and he issues a warning. Verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, President Cyril Ramaphosa, you need to be listening. President Joe Biden, you need to be listening. And China and, and North Korea and, and, and the United Kingdom and everywhere else. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. The Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus, our Savior, is the most powerful figure in the entire universe. It's good news and it's bad news. Destruction and judgment will come. It is inevitable from him. 
to all who persist in their rebellion. Not only the superpowers, but ordinary men and women like us, those who dig their heels in against God and against His anointed, it is bad news that Jesus is the most powerful being in the universe. But at the same time, it's good news. And the good news is that safety can be found from judgment. Safety can be found from condemnation for all those who find refuge in Him. Those who look to Him and see with empty hands that they stand in need of forgiveness and grace. Turning from their sin, trusting Jesus for salvation. God through the psalm gives us insight into a world that has seemingly gone mad. Things are not what they appear to be on the surface. Trust that you leave here this morning. Believing that, understanding that. Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. Not only some future date already reigns. He takes that which men intend for evil and, and he uses it for good. Like what was said to Joseph. What you, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And so, the grasshoppers, they're making a lot of fuss. Oh, all these meetings. United Nations, United this and United that, and lots of money and lots of talk and, and nothing. Hot air. Pretending to be so important in their self-constructed thrones and, and high places. But the world is in rebellion to their creator. Let's kill him so we can get his inheritance. This belongs to us. But God, powerfully, deliberately, resolutely orchestrating, working out his salvation plan, unfolding his redemptive history through his son. God has not lost the plot. Leave here today encouraged. If you are a believer, you can leave here encouraged. You do not need to let the perceived threats of world powers and, and atomic bombs or world religions or big brains rattle your cage. Not even rigged elections or widespread corruption or ungodly trends or rebellious peer pressure should push us into a state of panic. Why? God has decreed, as for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Get on with your business. Live your life under God, for God, to the glory of God. And you have a destiny and a prospect, not only in this life, but even in the life beyond. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we know, don't need to speculate, that we don't need to philosophize as many do and uh, wonder about the meaning of life and, and, and the origin of things and, and the reality beyond this life. We rejoice today in the reality that there is a God in heaven, that you are our Father, and that you have appointed your Son to rule and to reign, and even as we come to your table, God so loved the world, that gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so, Lord, as we proceed now, do pray that you would, by your Spirit, stir deep within our own hearts convictions that are sure,
But Lord, also humility of dependence before you. As we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.